I've run out of number-related puns for Max Verstappen wins because apparently Sweet 16 was the limit and he's just gone one beyond it. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. In brighter news, at least 17 is my birthday number, so maybe that's something. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode... <laughs> it's something. Uh, welcome to episode 482 of Motorsport 101. Glad you could join us as ever. This is going to be an episode all about F1's Brazilian Grand Prix, the fan favorite round, one of the best rounds of the year. And this race didn't quite deliver in that aspect, at least, but it was certainly newsworthy. And that is like, that's worth talking about at the least. And look, let's put it to you this way. We had a literal fucking storm hit the side of the track on Friday evening, and we barely even get the chance to talk about it besides this intro sequence. So rip the entire roof off a grandstand. As you do. You know, it's amazing when when Leclerc was talking about he could hear the rain, but it wasn't raining yet, which must be absolutely terrifying as a racing driver. <laughs> that That is nightmare fuels. Like, you're driving a race car at 210 miles an hour, and you can hear there's rain in the area, but it's dry on track. How are you meant to push in those circumstances? Keep, keep in mind as well, Formula One cars might not be as loud as they used to be, but they are anything but quiet. Oh, exactly. And uh, wow. Uh, if you haven't seen the footage already, there's a fantastic transition clip that F1 put on its social media reels of Verstappen driving in Q1 and then seeing the lights go out when Q3 hits, when the storm is on top of him. It's like it's like someone's patched in a night mode mod into an yeah. F1 game. It's I crazy. Mean, there's, there's the still shot of him completing his Q3 lap, which would be eventually become the pole lap for that exact reason. And it is like he's driving into the night. It's just a wall of black in the sky. Yeah. like I hear I'm, you on both these accounts, but the hardest image of the weekend is George Russell standing out in the middle of the rain, looking up to the skies, thinking, God, what did I do to deserve this? It's, it's, it's like a raining version of R. Kelly's old I Believe I Can Fly video, it's, uh, <laughs> which unfortunately now kind of redacted for understandable reasons, but even so, like that was, that was quite Wait, what did he do? What did he do to deserve that rain, or what did he do to deserve that car? Um, six of one, half a dozen of the other. But uh, first we'll get of all, into that later. Uh, first of all, let, let's introduce our colleagues as ever, because you probably have already noticed by now, for the first time in a couple of weeks, welcome back, Mr. Cameron Buckley. Hello, sir. Um, back from injured reserve and now injured on the play. I am not doing great, <laughs> folks. Um, sinus infections are a bitch, especially mm. when you can't get access to antibiotics to blow them out of your system. Yeah, not fun. There's a guy that had two chest infections from two flights he's had to America this year. Them, th th those are You're bitches. Welcome. <laughs> I came to America thinking America would love me. America did not love me back. Um, no. Well, it, uh, it, it tried. For, for that reason, you know, I'm, I'm, I am happy to be back. I've had a lot of things to say, and I basically <laughs> had to just write them down angrily in either our own Discord or the Jimmy Broadbent Discord. Um, and if I'm a little quiet on this episode, y'all understand why. Exactly. And also joining us, who's uh, done an admirable job filling in for the last couple of weeks, uh, finally back home, RJ O'Connell. Hello, buddy. Hi, I've been back for a little bit, actually. I think this is my, my last 
like time out on the road, barring like any mm. sudden like Christmas or Thanksgiving travel, because it is that time of year. The holidays are coming up. Uh, it's time for pleasant and or awkward and or tense interactions with your family, depending on how your situation is. No judgment mm. either way. Uh, all the fall sports are back in action and with them, all the discourse that comes around with them. And of course, it's almost the end of racing season. Golly, it feels like it just started. Yeah, we finished up. Uh, we finished up WEC. We finished up um, Super GT. We finished up NASCAR this past weekend as well. Yeah, congratulations um, to uh, to Ryan Blaney, uh, your new NASCAR Series champion. Which uh, that was uh, that was look. We all love Ryan Blaney on here, so we're like we're all delighted for him to win the title. Um, the House of Bubble Wallace greatly approves <laughs> um, on on that one. It was, it was genuinely great race to close it out as well. So that's always fun. R- relatively clean as well. No no funny business, which is always yeah, a plus. Yeah, because the uh, the NASCAR truck race was. Uh, for those of you out there, um, Shambhala. don't, don't, don't seek this race out. Don't think about this race beyond the words I have for it. Mm. It was one of the most shameful displays I have ever seen in professional motorsport. It's if like they the ran that of- finale, <laughs> if they ran that finale at Bowman Gray, you would not be able to tell a difference. Mm. It's like, it's like that sequence where, uh, Vinny and Brian Alvarez uh, go through like every negative adjective they could find to describe a wrestling pay per view, all in quick succession of like fifteen seconds. That's the description of that Phoenix race. That was that was me in our own Discord. Awful, in our Shambo- chat. awful, shambolic, terrible, devoid of merit. Um. <laughs> devoid of merit, I think, is the perfect descriptor. Also, shout outs, RJ. Yeah, we have a new. Japan double champion. That's right. We talked about Rotomo Miyata winning the Super Formula title last week. And with his third win alongside Shosu Boy, who's now a two-time champion, Rotomo Miyata is now the fifth driver to win both the GT500 title and Super GT and the Super Formula slash Japanese Top Formula Championship in the same calendar year. And at 24 years of age, he is the youngest. We Let's like to go! We love to see it. You know, we, we said goodbye to the NSX as a racing car for the time being. Um, and if it couldn't be them because Arda were pants at Motegi, then I am perfectly okay with the Tom's Toyota, the traditional Tom's Toyota bringing home the crown. <clears throat> Good times and, uh, yeah, wonderful news to hear about that as well. Um, yeah, it, it is kind of strange. We are, we're in the back stretch. Motorsport for the year it's done in three weeks um for those who don't know the calendar we've got a moto gp triple header to close out the season that starts this weekend at uh, sepang um sepang qatar valencia to close out the year there and then on which we'll get to hopefully a little bit of that later this week and then on two wheels you've got just just the two f1 races left uh vegas next weekend oh did you ever go to vegas Oh, they, they didn't promote it at all, Jerry. Like they, they didn't immediately mention Vegas moments after Brazil finished. No, um, and we've also obviously got Abu Dhabi to close out the year uh, in a couple of weeks' time. So yeah, we'll be done in just under a month from now. Uh, we're in November. We are in the home stretch, um, and if it, it, it feels like it, because I'm fucking tired. I'm not going to lie to you, people. Um, don't work. 14 hour days in the middle of an f1 triple header it's not fun i i, I promise you it's 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 not the easiest <laughs> but 
but nevertheless, let's get into Formula One's Brazilian Grand Prix in just a moment. But uh, places you can find us real quick. We are on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Um, we're on Instagram at motorsport 101 pod. You can check out our website, motorsport101.com. If you want some bonus thoughts uh, on Formula One in Brazil, written by yours truly, you can check that out over there. Um, you can follow us personally on Twitter, if you like, at Dre underscore WTF1, at CBuckley917, and at RJ O'Connell. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. If you back us at the $5 level, you can get early access to all of our episodes before they go live to the public. You can upgrade that to the $10 tier, as Andrew Bannister did today. So thank you, Andrew. Welcome to our humble abode. For we appreciate your, you for upping your pledge to 10 bucks um you can just listen to these shows loves are being recorded andrew if you listen to this show please reach out to me somewhere on the internet if you want to get access to our discord server as well we'd love to have you um and that goes to anybody that backs us on patreon at any level but if you get if you back us at 10 a month level you get access to the supporters club where you get extra chat extra content inside information from all of us as well um which is kind of fun um and you can listen to see episodes live as they're being recorded so do check that out as well Right, so without further ado, let's get into the Brazilian Grand Prix. I thought it was the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, but it's the Brazilian Grand Prix. But it's officially the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, but it's the Brazilian Grand Prix. I would have said it's the Sao Paulo Grand Prix because it's, mm. but we're out of the Bolsonaro reign of terror. So it should be the Brazilian Grand Prix, but it's Sao Paulo whatever Grand they call Prix. it, whatever it's they call race it this in year. Yeah, but this year's race at Interlagos. <laughs> <laughs> it was, surprise, surprise, another comfortable weekend for Max Verstappen, who doubled up with his fourth sprint win of the season and his 17th Grand Prix victory of 2023. With Lando Norris surprisingly hanging on to his coattails close behind, but the real headline during the race was the knockdown dragout fight between Fernando Alonso and Sergio Perez for the final spot on the podium with Alonso nipping him to third by 53 milliseconds over the line. We'll address the bigger uh, storylines in this race, but first up, Lando Norris. I think it's safe to say that at this point, he's having the best run of his life in Formula 1 at the moment. He's been driving on a freakish level for quite some time where I mean if, if if Brazil established anything that we didn't already know it's that Lando Norris is at the front of the queue when it comes to Max Verstappen right now if everything clicks for this McLaren and in Lando's hands he's going to finish second because he's done that four times in the last six races and five podiums in the last six um, he's probably going to finish fourth in the Drivers' Championship as well given that that is a remarkable accomplishment given, and I did the digging on this, before Austria, the first eight race weekends of the year, Lando had 12 points. And he was 100... had a total of 17. Lando had a total of 17. They've scored 270 in the 12 weekends since then. We, we had a kind of an at-length... We had kind of an at-length discussion before Austria in, in our Discord between... Uh, myself and a few other of the members in there. 
And we were thinking back and we have a couple really, you know, technically minded historians when it comes to, you know, top flight motorsport. And really, we were thinking back of the great upgrade packages that we've seen in F1 and McLaren's had a couple of them. But this one almost beggars belief how it flipped them from pound for pound, the worst team in Formula One to pound for pound, maybe the best. This is a team that was nowhere to start the year. Their brakes were melted in preseason testing. Aston Martin had stolen all their headlines as the informed team of the test, and McLaren were nowhere to be seen. We actually genuinely made videos talking about how bad McLaren had been in testing at WTF1, but this was back in February. And now McLaren is genuinely challenging Red Bull for the win. Like, Okay, it, like Norris didn't really have a clear-cut chance to win this, but he was always in play and was always in range the whole way through. If if, if Max Red Bull had his, to look over their shoulder, yeah, like they Red Bull couldn't just pull away and win this one comfortably. Like a bad pit stop, and Norris would have been right in range. Like, the, the, like it, it, that's what it was like for at least two thirds of this race. Like, well, uh, you know, a bad pit stop. What were Max Verstappen's times on his pit stops during this race? 2.2 and 2.4. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. S- safe to say, um, Kota was a blip. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, <coughs> some of that, uh, some of that quality health right there. I mean, in your words, it's the hope that gets you because Lando mm. did actually have a legitimate lunge at max on lap eight. Uh, got into DRS. Max had to go defensive into turn four. Thankfully, kept it him and himself, him and Norris both on the road this time, unlike did, a couple did, years ago. Didn't open up the steering. That, 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 that tends Not to be the key time. for you, Max. <laughs> um, but uh, it appears at the same time that he was close all race, at the same time, it feels like Max said, all right, you've had your fun. And he punched him out of DRS in a sector. Yeah, immediately. That one, and that was it, basically. Um, and then more or less hold him at arm's length for the rest of the race. Nothing like the set of problems that Red Bull had here last year. They absolutely hammered the field um, across the weekend. But Norris is about as close as anyone has been. And he's been doing it across enough weekends that if Red Bull does slip up, you'd think that he is the candidate because... Aston Martin, we'll talk about them a little bit more uh, in a bit, but this this was their first good weekend in months. And for Mercedes and Ferrari, they can't get out of Brazil fast enough. Mm. Um, and again, I, I cannot I cannot put it into words. McLaren were the pits coming out of preseason. And that was validated in the first eight races of the season. And conversely, They've been the consistent, at worst, usually third best team, often second, since Austria. And the turnaround has been phenomenal. And this is without their new wind tunnel. Uh, This car is still, in aerodynamic terms, a Toyota in a certain way. Because this is still being built. It's built in Cologne. (laughs) Yeah, aerodynamically, this car is still 100% from the Toyota wind tunnel, that old girl. Um, Still doing work over in WEC. But Lando's been so, so solid and not just the speed, but also the racecraft, because he is one of the only people who can kind of mitigate 
the McLaren, which is still not a perfect car, their tire wear is still bad. Mm. And Lando can at least get them into the range where they're only kind of getting killed by Red Bull on tires rather than the rest of the field who are just being blown away. Well, I've always been impressed by Lando Norris's racecraft ever since he got in the sport. Like, you rarely think of like, okay, yes, there's a very, very big one, but that was more down to a conflict between driver and pit wall that cost him that Russian Grand Prix victory. But apart from that, you know, I generally never have a complaint with Lando Norris. We've always talked about he's always been able to get the most out of his car in any given weekend. I mean... Yeah, I was going to make the point. Yeah. He's, this, this is year five for Lando in F1. He's not had a bad season since he got here. And like the only like the only person that's really giving him a, a fair run for his money is Carlos Sainz. And we all know Carlos Sainz is a quality driver. Um, and he had a bucket load of extra experience by comparison when they were teammates. That, that was kind of natural that Carlos would be a bit stronger. But you're absolutely like Lando is becoming one of the most complete drivers in Formula One. And Cam's absolutely right. Like McLaren's big weakness has been tire wear in the back end of a stint. We've seen that in races like Hungary and Japan. I mean, I mean we even them. saw it here a little bit because like hmm. you'd see Max and Max was clearly in the first stint kind of just maintaining other yeah. than when he he had one push lap to punch Lando out of DRS and then it just grew a little bit and a little bit. Just and it's usually there. it's usually if I look at the trend, it's usually a lap. I don't know. Depends on the track. About halfway through a stint, the, the field just starts hemorrhaging time to Red Bull and specifically Max, because Max can kind of just get whatever lap time he wants out of the car and the car doesn't burn the tires out. Um, even if it isn't quite the weapon of mass destruction in qualifying, it absolutely is in race trim. Yeah, and that's that's how it's been all year long, essentially. Red Bull will load their car with understeer and protect their rear tires better in the race by doing it that way. We've seen it all year, and this was a, a less extreme example of that, but Norris was good enough where he was only losing maybe a tenth or two a lap as opposed to maybe four or five earlier on in this season. McLaren has absolutely made gains, and like this... For me, outside of Qatar, which we all know was a bit of an outlier because of the way the tire management stints had to be managed, this was probably the nearest anybody has been able to run Max all season oh, in, in, in terms of a clean race. He was only on average, and, and it is skewed a bit by the tire stints, um, but he was only about a tenth and some change behind Max across the course of the race. That's, like, that's now the big, Yeah, compared to where everyone else has been this year, no one else has gotten that close or has been in position to get that close. And I mean, Lando did kind of flub qualifying. Well, he made up with for it with the start of the gods mm. on Sunday's race. He had to get around the Aston Martin rolling roadblock first, um, but then gained four places off one corner by going second into turn one. And then we very quickly got a safety car and a red flag, which for reasons we'll get to later on. But um, no, like this did all around, like... There's a lot to like about this McLaren package. In terms of ultimate speed, they are right there with Red Bull. They're not a million miles away in terms of tire wear. Now, they've certainly improved in that aspect as well. And they have a, a quality driver with Norris Spear and Team. And I mentioned in my DRR post about this, 
when Oscar Piastri gets the flies out, the flyaway rounds down, they've got two quality drivers in that team because in terms of raw speed, he's right there with Lando. He's really yeah. not far behind. Um, yeah, Piastri has been a revelation this season because he lacks the he lacks the finer details of Lando, but you would expect that he's a rookie. Yeah. When he yeah. gets that tire wear under control, hoo. That's another thing we want to talk about, too, is like, yeah, Oscar Piastri is a little overrated. He's had the sprint win, and obviously people are wanting to lash onto that as saying that this is I don't think he's overrated better. at all. He's to be, he, for, to for be a for, rookie, for a first-year driver in the for situation a first year that he driver, For a first-year driver to be on raw speed, giving Lando something to think about, and he's one of two people to record anything but a loss stat against Red Bull this year, that's pretty good. That's damn good. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it, I, out of all the teams that are in that upper midfield fight right now, McLaren are clearly in the best position to make a run, in my opinion. Like, I don't think it's any coincidence that the two most similar cars on the grid at this point, the Red Bull and the McLaren, are the ones who are seeming to streak a little bit further ahead and ahead the further we get into the season. Fortunately, the thing to remind us the thing the thing that we need to keep in mind at this stage of the season red bull hasn't upgraded this car in months yeah they and they are still folding the field on race day yeah christian horner admitted last week that uh red bull's cost cap penalty is over it is done they've gone through their 12 month period and they've they've already admitted they've spent pretty much all of that wind tunnel time towards next year's car it's one of the least upgraded cars in the field because well they just haven't needed to yeah so you know this is the field playing catch up on a car that has been uh frozen in place essentially since the summer break um so you know this is f1 it's a game of diminishing returns it always has been so it's not a surprise that the field has closed the gap somewhat but uh we'll see what happens when uh the start of next season kicks off i mean it's moving on for, for a moment here because we've got to talk about for me, the highlight of the race, one of the highlights That's of the season. Um, for me, one of the highlights of the season so far. How good was that, Lando? Lando, so how good was that Fernando Perez fight? Because my goodness, that was fantastic. Fun. That was, and good to see Sergio actually show up. It's been a hot minute, um, and especially after the Mexico lap one disaster. Which, thank God for him, I was not on last week's show. Mm. <laughs> thanking his lucky, thanking his lucky stars, but uh, I mean, Fernando Alonso, still him after all these years. It's incredible. I have a question though. What the hell is this Aston Martin team? We were just talking last week about hey that they've completely ruined everything, and so naturally they respond with a third and fifth place finish after. <clears throat> Getting rid of all the upgrades they just invested to put in the car at Coda? Arguably their best weekend of the year. <laughs> that is that is the most backhanded compliment I think we can give is you have wasted your entire wad developmentally. You've wasted all of your additional wind tunnel time from when you were lower in the constructors. But your base car is still really good. So when you take all the upgrades off, it's still one of the best cars in the field on the on its day. Yeah, we spent, I, I, we spent the entire wad on hmm. these upgrades and we wasted them. We thought no, not November was just not a thing anymore. 
Yeah, I, I, I did a podcast with Mo Mahadat from Pit Stop Fracas um, for Hot Takes Wednesday last week, and I literally said on that show, it says to me that Aston Martin fundamentally do not understand their car because their base car was really good. They've tried to upgrade it, mm-hmm. and ever since they've tried to upgrade it, they've fallen, they've fallen back down the order. They've reverted spec, and they're back to where they were again, where they're arguably <laughs> the second or third best team on the grid. Like, like, like what are you doing here? Like, like it's It highlights... For me, like I talked about with RJ on last week's show, it highlights what this team could have been because they're going to end up fifth, almost certainly in the Constructors' Championship, barring a miracle at this point. And that doesn't track with how good they have been for arguably you know, half the season where they were the second-best team in the sport. Fernando Alonso uh, had, 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 had eight podiums. Eight on podiums pace, they were basically the second-fastest car every race until Hungary. Mm. Um, and that was the one they thought they were going to win because we yeah. thought they were going to win Monaco and they didn't they, they should have won Mon- Monaco they should have won Monaco, they blew it they blew it strategically um, that was their chance and I think it highlights that, I, I think a big thing that it highlights with them and, and not understanding their car is an element to it, again, the Aston is not a Red Bull clone that narrative needs to die um, I think the closest thing to a clone right now is the McLaren. Mm. See how well it's working for them. Um, I think it highlights how young their technical structure is because this team has only really been together less uh, a year in a year and some change. And it doesn't seem like, like they got the base car, right? It seems like their development pipeline, much like we used to talk about Ferrari quite a lot, and we still do talk about Ferrari because, oh my God, they were bad this weekend. Mm. Their development pipeline is not with the likes of Red Bull and Mercedes, and right now McLaren. Yeah, um, they're, they're still catching up in terms of resources as well because they've poured they're a still lot a midfield in- team. Yeah, a lower still, midfield team overall. Yeah, they, they, this is this is a racing point team that went bankrupt two years ago, let's or three years ago. Let's not forget. Like this is a team that's still getting back on its feet from all of that, and they've they've spent tens of millions of pounds upgrading their facilities, and they're which aren't fully finished yet. They're not going to be done until the middle of next year. Reaping the benefits of that yet? No, like it's, it's going to be at least another year before they're fully up to speed of where they're at as a team. It doesn't stop this from being an excellent season and a sign of what could be down the road. But it's going to be a little bit disappointing when you look at the final score sheet and go, wait, we were fifth after all of this? Um, I, I mean, if I'm, a formula, if I'm the technical department of a Formula One team, I'd almost much rather start the year poorly and develop well rather than the other way around because if all of this development time that was put into this Aston all of it was worthless because the upgrades were actually not upgrades Mm. well what does that say about their 24 car good question because if all of that simulation data was bad and all of that simulation data is being fed into that 24 car good luck Good luck. I mean, that the Aston Martin are in a very weird place, but the, for that very reason, it's what's led us to such a fantastic fight. I mean, looking at it, 
Sergio Perez on the play disqualifying hand again. Stop us if you've heard that one before this year. But he did do a decent job of picking off the field where he could. He got up to Alonso, and I was good. I, I was under the assumption he was just going to roll past Fernando um, quickly. But Fernando was able to hold Perez behind him for the whole second stint of that race. And the whole third stint was. Shapes yeah. In that then the whole third stint was was Perez basically hanging around Alonso's DRS range and trying to figure out a way past him, and he didn't. Like Alonso was money coming out of the final corner and money enough in turn two where he was able to defend himself into those key breaking zones, and well, Perez was getting more and more frustrated trying to figure out a way past. Two laps to go, he dumps his, his entire battery um, in one final all-out assault to try and get past him actually makes it stick um and then alonzo on the final lap was able to stay with him he goes all in and sweeps around the outside in the turn four it was an f- incredible pass for the, for, for third place to, to have the bravery to dump your whole battery in, into turn four and sweep through the sweep across the front of perez's car because you know you can outbreak him into the corner Sensational driving from Fernando Alonso. My hard. goodness me. And I don't very know if it's hard, but very fair racing between them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Much. I don't know if it's one of his all-time best drives, but given the context of what what we were just talking about earlier this season where Aston Martin looks like they are on the ropes, uh, completely lost their way, third place is a great result, and that's, that's a pretty solid drive from a driver again who is... 42 years old and looks like he could do this until he's 50. And I want to give the man his flowers because Lance Stroll had his best weekend in a long, long time. Uh, Only six six seconds down on uh, Fernando at the end of the day. Uh, My frustration. Yeah. Fifth place. My frustration with him lately is not that he is completely capable of doing this stuff because he is, but he never does it consistently. Mm. The man is the definition of streaky. He is a streaky driver, but uh, credit where credit is due. He got his head down and he drove well this weekend. And that's all. That performance is exactly what we've been asking of Stroll all year long. Do that and no one's going to have a problem with you. We don't expect you to beat Fernando Alonso. We expect you to stay with him. And that's what he's, that's what he did this weekend. So fair play to him in that, in that regard, at least. Um, What I would say on top of that is, Great Fernando, again, 0.053 over the line, about three quarters of a car length for 200 miles an hour when they hit the line. Um, Also, Sergio Perez, step in the right direction this weekend, certainly. What I would also say is 34 seconds off your teammate and losing a fight to an Aston Martin is still probably not going to convince anybody who are out for you. No. Um, And in in fairness with his qualifying, not all his fault because... (laughs) When the sky was falling down upon the track, uh, Oscar Piastri lost it in front of him and meant that he basically didn't have a Q3 time. He was very cheeky in saying that he would have been on the front row if it wasn't for the yellow flag. We had the, I had the tracing data for that lap. It was probably around P5, but, um, you know. Uh, he, knowing the Red Bull, he would have gained a bit down the main straight because... Uh, Mm. Well, some cars will build, were built for this main straight, and some cars weren't. <laughs> Does that transition us nicely towards 
the next segment was, oh. we, we were talking about this because this, this was a this is a big element of this race it was a rough day for the teams fighting for second in, in the standings Charles Leclerc had his second career DNS, did not start after suffering an electronics failure on the formation lap, while Carlos Sainz had to nurse a faulty gearbox home in the other car in seventh. Across the aisle at Mercedes, they had to park George Russell for um, his oil temperature overheating on his power unit, and both he and Lewis struggled all weekend long to manage their tyres, with Lewis only finishing eighth, which is the worst race finish Hamilton has had all season. Um, who had the worst day, gentlemen? Dre, uh, uh, before we get started, Dre, mm. I, I need to call you out on something, because last <laughs> week on your other job, the WTF1 podcast, you brought someone who clearly had no idea what he was talking about, when at the end of the show, he said in confidence that if any race was going to be the race for Lewis Hamilton to finally snap that two-year winless <laughs> drought, it was going to be this one, because he always does well at Interlagos, and Mercedes won here on merit. <laughs> clearly, that guy didn't know what he's talking about. What, what kind of clown would say such a thing rj uh, o'connell um rory james o'connell is, is, is all my this is all my notes say here doctor i am pagliacci <laughs> don't you son of a bitch don't make me laugh <laughs> it hurts um is it bad to say yes no in this instance ironically i mean for me and this is how i look at it Mercedes were dreadful, and Mercedes kind of compounded all of their major problems of the last two years into one weekend. A, a combination of, one, having to raise their car higher off the ground because they didn't want a repeat of Austin's disqualification, having to run the biggest rear wing they had to try and mitigate their loss of downforce, and then, as a result, three, making their car a lot more draggy because it was the slowest car in a straight line. They were losing, I think, seven miles an hour to the Red Bulls in the speed traps. Put all that Dre? together with butchered tires, and you have this weekend for Mercedes. Dre, hmm. maybe the zero pods were the right choice. Shut the fuck up, Buckley. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you do need a wind tunnel to see that, but Toto Wolf uh, called this after the race, quote, personally, that was our <laughs> worst weekend. In 13 years. How many times is he going to say that over the last two years? Did, did he forget Spain 2016 never happened? I mean, to be fair, I would too. Hey, at least they were fast. Team was, yeah, that's true for, for 15 seconds. Um, they, you know. they, they went out of that race faster than any other car. Normally when uh, a man brags about 15, uh, uh, 15 seconds, it normally involves a round of crying afterwards. But, um, I mean, which to be fair, was probably what they were doing after this race too. Um, no, it was, it was just... This was rough, um, and Mercedes had basically stacked all their problems on top of each other in the space of one Dude, weekend. George Russell was having the worst fucking time because every, I wasn't watching the race, but I always get notifications from our work chat, and it felt like every five minutes I would get a new notification for somebody who's listening to the radio and says, George complaining about something. George isn't happy about the car. George is tuned into KEMO 106.3 radio. I mean, look, Dude. like, it's it, for me, it's when Lewis got drag raced up the front straight by an Alpine. An Alpine, which could not pass a Haas with the assistance of DRS for several laps at Mexico City. An Alpine, which we know is anywhere between 30 to 40 horsepower down on the whole field right now. 
and run their downforce stripped down at most tracks to compensate for that. I mean, I don't know how much of it was raising the floor because the way Toto put it, their cars, and it's the same problem as last year, albeit without the um, ass pounding that the W13 tended to do. Mm. Um, it's just got such a narrow operating window. And if you raise it even a millimeter or two, it just loses all of its downforce. And then you need to bolt on a huge rear wing. And then you still don't have any downforce because Red Bull did. Red Bull took the same approach this weekend. Only their car has such a wide operating window that they can bolt on the Monaco rear wing, bolt on all the wing that they can muster. Well, the Honda engine's still going to punch it through the air better than just about anything on the grid. Mm-hmm. And the car makes so much downforce that it then does protect its tires. Mercedes ended up with the worst of all worlds this weekend because they bolted on as much downforce as they had in their arsenal, and the car just shredded the tires anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, it, nothing it to just, fight with. Just didn't matter. <clears throat> their ultimate speed wasn't bad. We saw them hold off the rebels in the sprint very briefly, but once the tire wear kicked in, they couldn't stay with them. They like, like, like I've, I have the tires never... lasted three laps in the sprint, Dre. Yeah, they like like uh, the stat they came up was that jo- that George Russell had lost an average of one point three seconds per lap in the sprint. That's how badly he butchered his tires. Like they, they like George, might, he might as well have bought one of Elon Musk's old flamethrowers and just taken them to a set of Pirellis, and it would have done less damage than what he was doing out there on track. I mean, there's a legitimate argument you can make that. Have we not lost Leclerc and Piastri effectively very early on? And maybe even Ricardo as well. <coughs> and Ricardo had phenomenal pace, but unfortunately caught a tire to the back wing during the lap one incident. Mm. Um, there's an argument you can make. Mercedes did not have the speed for points on merit this weekend. This race, which they dominated the last two years. They won here last year on merit. No shenanigans, no funny business. They won this race last year. No questions asked. And they were debatably cut. the sixth fastest car here this year. Yeah. And even that, <clears throat> we've mocked Ferrari at times earlier on this year for being in that sort of ballpark. At least someone like Carlos Sainz, when he had the sixth best car at Zandvoort, still scored solid points that day. Simply by keeping his nose dry and not fucking up. It's worth something. But th- like, he, you, you're absolutely right, Cam. Toto admitted that, look, I don't care. He said in the interview, but after after the race, he said, "Look, I don't care that George Russell's car didn't make it. I'm more concerned he probably wouldn't have scored points if he was still out there. That's what concerned him." And it just, it's it's the same carryover from last year. Because I mean, last year Red Bull screwed the setup on a sprint weekend, and Ferrari's engine, which we'll get to in a moment, um, kept blowing itself up at high altitude if they didn't turn it down. <coughs> but it's just this. This deep-reaching fundamental flaw in this generation of Mercedes, um, where they could switch. I mean, they were clearly second fastest in Mexico all the way through the race, and Lewis had the pace to reel off a fast lap and maintain himself. Um, they were second fastest in Coda, legally or not, not legally. Um, and then this weekend, they're scrapping for points. And they don't seem to understand why. The, that's the thing that, that, <clears throat> that, that extended to me when I was talking, when I was reading the transcripts and reading the interviews, they were talking about it. 
Toto himself admitted he hasn't got the magic screw that's going to fix everything. He, they, the, 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 the impression that I get is that they don't know what's causing these issues and they don't know how to fix it. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of their car. And, and that extends however far until they can figure out that issue. I mean, they came into this season talking shit on the socials, bringing back the black car. They wrote off the season after Bahrain. Such was the evisceration at Red Bull's hands they undertook. Oh, 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 for memory um, serves, Hamilton was 50 seconds off the winning car in Bahrain. I mean, and this car has changed so much since then. It's gained side pods. They've completely redesigned their floor. They've completely redesigned their front suspension, parts of their rear suspension. They've modified their power unit as much as they can under the engine freeze. Mm. And at the, end, <laughs> at the end of the day, on weekends like this, they're no closer. If anything, they're further away. They got curb stomped by two of their customer teams this weekend. Yeah. This and Aston Martin, which has effectively had no development, worthwhile development at least, since the start of the season. This Mercedes is practically a D-spec car. And the team that buys half of their car just blew them into the weeds. Absolutely. Lance Stroll drag race Lewis Hamilton like his engine blew. Yeah, just a cornucopia of, of, of horse shit. And then you, you, you got a Ferrari. And we haven't still. gotten a Ferrari yet. Oh, boy. You know what? You know, as I was going through the update of the updates <laughs> of the race before we were about to leave, I said to my partner, so how long do you think Charles Leclerc's last race lasted today? And I told her, didn't even make it to the first lap. It didn't last. It never started. Yeah, the, the answer is zero. Um, like the answer is like minus forty five <laughs> seconds. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, what it, is this? What is Charles? He can't. If he didn't have bad luck, he'd have no luck at all. Fun fact: um, I spent today writing a video script for WTF One, saying <clears> is Charles Leclerc the unluckiest driver in Formula One? It was fifteen hundred words long. Um, it's, to, to put it into perspective. This was rough Jesus. for Charles. And, I mean, again, it, like Fred Vassar said that it wasn't necessarily hydraulics. They they were very cautious about saying exactly what it was. He said it may have been an electronics issue. Um, it was electronics that shut down the hydraulics and the power unit. And then... The, the, the electronics again. Again. Yeah, because this, this is what killed his car back in Bahrain when he was on for a surefire podium. Which ruined two of his race weekends. <laughs> Yeah, because um, that destroyed his power unit. We don't actually know what the knock-on effect is going to be with this, but then he restarted the car because you can effectively hybrid start these things now. Um, use the MGUK as a makeshift starter motor, and then you should just reoccur. Cords. <laughs> <laughs> what is this, a Range Rover? <laughs> Might as well be. The most unreliable car in the world is still the most unreliable car in the world because... Is it better or worse for your cars and the cars you power to have four separate mechanical DNFs across a race day? Well, Kevin Magnuson's was not mechanical, I can tell you that. No, true. it wasn't. But both of the Alfa Romeos were mechanical, power unit related. Charles Leclerc had the catastrophic uh, electronics failure. And Carlos Sainz had downshift problems going, finishing up the end of this race, mm -hmm. which cost him a chance at any more progress. 
Nico Hulkenberg probably had the cleanest race out of the six Ferrari-powered drivers today. Uh, the clean, the cleanest race, which involved him getting sandwiched and battered into by his teammate Anna Williams. Second time he's been sandwiched in the last four rounds. Well, if Nico Hulkenberg didn't have bad luck, he'd have no luck at all. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's this, and I say Ferrari had the worst day, and the reason why I say Ferrari had the worst day was that this was an open goal for Ferrari to hit Merckx where it hurt in the Constructors' fight. There was 24 points between them going into this race weekend. Now, this is still a minor dub for Ferrari. It's the gap's down to 20, but this could have been a lot more. This could have been a lot more, and they've only got two rounds left. It's going to take a miracle now for Ferrari to make up those twenty points because Merck's on paper have about the same quality of race car. It's going to take something. It's going to take a big swing in, between now and the end of the year for Ferrari to make up twenty points on Merck's. That's all. They're going to need. Anyway. They're going to need Mercedes to effectively not score, and they effectively didn't score this race. So of course Leclerc, who was starting second. And the pace wasn't awful this weekend for Leclerc. No. Um, there's a reasonable chance he could have been on the podium. Race doesn't even start. No. A, I a mean, big... he, he, could, he can't buy luck these days. No, and the, a third place is 15 points. It's a, it would that's be a doable. Fo- it would Across be a two fight. more weekends, that's super doable, Dre. It, it'll be, it's, it's, it's at that point, it's, it's a drag race between the two of them for the line. It would be five points going into Vegas. And Vegas, we don't know what the hell is going to happen. So... Yeah, I mean, this was a big, big open goal for Ferrari, and they missed it. Like, look, Fred, say what you will about Ferrari's season, and I, I'm, I'm generally sympathetic towards Fred Vassar because he's had to clean up mm. a lot of Bonotto's bullshit that he left behind. Second place would actually be a pretty decent salvage job for Ferrari, all things considered. Um, I but- mean, look at it like this, Trey. 2022 Mercedes scored 515 points. Mm-hmm. What they came out of? Uh, they came out of yesterday in the three eighties. Yeah, the second Merckx, place, the second place teams have been just left in the weeds. Yeah, Mercs are significantly worse than what they were last year. Ferrari are probably a little bit better overall, especially in the the back half uh, of the year. I don't know if I go that far. This uh, second half of the year, sure. Been, the first half last year. Half. Yeah, like, like like they've been better in the in the back half of the year, but a lot of that has been again trying to take a card out of Red Bull's book by whacking understeer on their car to stop him being an being an erratic motherfucker that was trying to kill its drivers heart every other week. Um, so yeah, like it's a bit of a six and one off, doesn't it? The other sort of situation here, I think Ferrari's a little bit better. I think Mercedes are a little bit worse, but you know, Merck's if they came out of this year third, it would be an unmitigated disaster for them, in my humble opinion. I, uh, given the amount, of, I mean, the amount of resources they've thrown at us, the amount of money they've got, the amount of employees. They're, they're, this is the same Merck team that are pumping seventy million pounds into revamping Brackley as well, and they're going to come. This out is third? the this is the Mercedes Formula One team that employs seven-time drivers' champion of the world, Lewis Hamilton. And triple S platinum tier prospect George Russell. And they don't really have a lot to show for it. Ferrari hmm. employ Over generational thousand. sensation Charles Leclerc and the highest floor guy in the sport with a still a pretty decent ceiling in Carlos Sainz Jr. And they have nothing to show for it. 
So at the end of the day, you see it this weekend. The whole field is compressing. And the two teams that you'd expect to take the fight to Red Bull are fucking nowhere. Yeah. It's the team that was sick through eight rounds this year that have posed the biggest threat to them in the back half of the year. Constantly. It's there's Not every elevator's going up, Dre. No, and, that's, and that is a not. categoric failure by the technical departments in Brackley and Marinello. Absolutely. And they they should be raked over the coals for it. I mean, there's already been consequences. I mean, Fred Vass has already spent most of the year cleaning up Bonotto's mess. And Mike Elliott's now gone from Mercedes altogether from the end of the year. And Allison had to come back uh, to, to run the day-to-day run-ins of that team from a technical standpoint. And we, we know, and we know Allison's one of the best in the business, but he's got a lot of shit to clean up. I mean, Dre, Mike Elliott was one of the best in the business. Because regardless, regard—I mean, regardless of the the witch hunt from that fan base on social media, he also helped architect W's nine through twelve champion constructors championship winning cars. Yeah, often in complete dick flattening fashion. The, the, those the, all four of those cars you mentioned won the constructors championship. It's it's like how three of them at a canter. It's like how in basketball, Mike Boonholzer coaches the Milwaukee Bucks to an NBA championship. And then this past season, the Bucks fall way short of expectations. And he's sacked from the team and has no prospects of coming back to the league anytime soon. And the Bucks look exactly the same this year. They just added Damian Lillard, which worked out for two games. There's only one time. There's only one kind of game time that we respect. <clears throat> Shout out to Michelle Gadding, Sarah Bovey, <laughs> and Rahel Frank. Getting that dub in the last ever GT race. Iron fucking dames. Hell to the yes. Like, yeah, fantastic achievement for them to to win the final GT and um, final GT race as we know it in the WEC. Second championship GT race. That that category is be as now retired. It is all GT threes from here on out in the World Endurance Championship. Iron Dames will be back with the GT three car, which is cool. But like they want to win this one, and nobody can what else can win another race to defeat them in these back of cars. Lineal cool. champs. Mm-hmm. That's the permanent lineal champions cannot be beaten that's the only damn time we respect around here at motorsport 101 hell yeah oh, oh yeah God. congrats congrats to them quick oh. before we get out of here as well um we want to talk a little bit about the sprint as well because this was the last sprint of the year in brazil verstappen won it on a, on a reasonably comfortable clip uh from lando norris in second and sergio perez in third um so in, ca- in case you were wondering verstappen won the sprint championship too in case anyone was keeping score on that front um but yeah, yeah Land- lando got pole for the sprint you want to know how long it lasted it didn't yeah precisely. instantaneous instantaneous within mean, 200 yards verstappen <laughs> was in front but I mean, we've now had the sprint for three years now. It's the end of year three. And again, I think there's been a lot of complaints and a lot of noise about this format. And look, I said in the, I've put in my notes here, should it be scrapped? And look, the realistic answer is it will not be. And I, think, and I think a lot of people need to understand this, that look, F1's put you in a bit of a honey trap here because it's moved the session you care about to Friday evening. 
And if you're an F1 fan and you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're going to watch that session. And that's the numbers they're going to come out with when they justify this format. Because, yes, moving the moving qualifying to a Friday night and having, having the sprint weekend on a Saturday, people will watch it. It's more meaningful than a practice session. So that's the numbers that they are going to cite when people look at the reports at the end of the year and go, well, the fans hate it. Well, you're still watching it, and that's what they're looking for. So That's all. That's the only thing that matters to them is, does it bring more ratings, yes or no? Yes, it stays. And this is maybe considering that, like, Friday's a work day for most people. Yeah. And it would be It's doubly so, RJ, because people would normally just forego watching fp1 or fp2 entirely because they're at work instead they're gonna be sickos and they're gonna sneak f1 tv onto their phone and they're gonna watch they're gonna sneak watching it pop it on a second window in in one computer while in one screen while you're doing your csr job on the other screen keeping my iphone in my textbook during class yeah, it's pe- the point is people are going to go out of their way to watch it because they, you care about it. Matters. It. it matters. It matters. It makes a session that is purely for setup. Well, it replaces that with a mini race, and yeah. that's always just going to matter more to viewers. Yeah. So we know that this is not going away anytime soon. <clears throat> is it good the way that it is? Not especially. No. I'm fine with it for the most part. I'm. I'm. I don't look. <laughs> People think that oh, like it's it's cool to hate the sprint. I I'm indifferent to it for the most part in the sense of the action itself was good. Ironically, the Brazilian sprint was better than the Grand Prix this weekend. The Brazilian sprint's usually like pretty good in the times that they've had the sprint in Brazil. I'll go one further. I think the sprint has had more hits than misses this season. A little bit of rain-assisted help in a couple of places, but Austria's sprint was good. Belgium's sprint was good. Like. I enjoyed Qatar's sprint. I enjoyed Brazil's sprint. Like, I, if you're hitting four out of six in motorsport, you're doing pretty well, in my opinion. Like, I right. actually genuinely enjoyed the slate of sprints we got this year. I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't. <laughs> now, I still think the sprint has one big overriding problem, and I think the biggest problem with it is that it gives too much away. It gives the game away a day early, and you kill some and we, of that. We saw that this weekend. Yeah, we saw absolutely. that this weekend because as well. <laughs> yeah, we saw. Okay, if this person gets into second, we'll see Verstappen be troubled for a few laps, and then Red Bull begins to flex their racecraft muscle, and that's exactly what we saw. The intrigue came elsewhere, where we had a very different grid sprint to non-sprint this weekend. Aston Martin had completely different fortunes. Alpha Tauri huge in the constructors championship for them had completely different fortunes yuki yeah. sunoda is cooking yeah five points this weekend a sixth a six place in the sprint so he's three not points cutting his there. hair he is not cutting his hair my <laughs> man is cooking the only reason he wasn't actually able to make a lunge at hamilton during the race he was nursing a clutch at you still got it home in ninth mm. and should have been better for daniel ricardo but again in that first lap melee caught a rear tire to the rear wing and was never really a factor as he came out one lap down. Williams yeah. Williams needs to watch their back these next couple races. Seven it's points between seven. them. It's only seven points. That could be evaporated pretty soon. Yeah, this this B-Spec AlphaTauri, this car they introduced, and I want to say Singapore, it's got it could, something. It's got something. It's got something. 
yeah, I mean, it's that and the... I mean, the way I see it, I mean, the rumours are of the sprint to get us a little bit back on topic here. The rumour is, is that there is talk that after the season is over, what they might do is that they might move the sprint qualifying to the shootout to Friday night, then move Grand Prix qualifying to that Saturday afternoon slot where the sprint is, um, and just shuffle that around a little bit so that, you know, you've got Grand Prix qualifying on Saturday, but you have the sprint race to open the morning proceedings. I don't really have a big preference either way. I don't have a strong opinion on it one way or the other. I, I didn't I mind think, the shootout it, being Sprint Saturday. I, didn't I think mind it, it organizes the weekend a little better. I think one of the bigger concerns for me as well with the Sprint is the fact that they go into Park for May after one session. It is a bit rough. We, yeah. Because I like seeing more cars fight. And the one setup session this weekend killed Mercedes, killed Ferrari, and left a couple of teams really down in the dumps mm-hmm. when they probably shouldn't have been. Yeah, I mean, when Ferrari and some of that is got- on some of that is on your setup and your simulation tools, of course. But other times you just get it wrong, and because it's a sprint weekend, you don't have a chance to fix it the way you would on a normal but weekend. that's the that's why they're talking about these changes because they're talking about the possibility of reopening park Ferme after the sprint race is over to make setup changes so to, to make setup changes before grand prix qualifying hits on saturday afternoon and they shut that door again so yeah and i, I think mean, that makes perfect sense because hmm. you get a real race stint real race conditions to actually go set your car up in we might have more teams be competitive that way yeah and look if if it were me, is it is it time? I mean, it's like okay, there's a famous Top Gear clip where they're upgrading the Renault Aventine. Here we uh, go. And I know what he's gonna say. <laughs> and they 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 do all the big work. You you know they put new brakes on it, new tires. They stripped it. They stripped it out. Um, they get to a certain threshold and window, and then they say, and then Clarkson it's says. Aventine. Uh, it's Aventine. That's what they say. Not, yes. not, knock it the fuck off, O'Connell. <laughs> but but uh, Clarkson, who, in his infinite wisdom, turns to James and says, at this point, would you kill me if I said power? Um, it, it, it's the upgrading your car for that Grand Turismo event, and you finally decide to take the easy road and slap a stage four turbo on that bitch. Precisely. And it's, it's the same where I'm going to say here, is it time for reverse grids? <laughs> It has been time for reverse grids because that's the way you make it not give away the game. You mix up the game. Um, The problem that you'll get with that is there will absolutely be gamesmanship from those who have the ability to pass Red Bull, uh, as if Red Bull don't bounce against the limits of the regulations enough. The teams who know that they can pass, they'll game the system. If you're a top team, you're not going to want this for obvious, understandable reasons. Um, but for me, if you want to keep some degree of anticipation towards your Grand Prix on Sunday and also incentivize the teams that are struggling a little bit, that they might be able to get some points. By uh, 
the number the, the number is up for debate. I personally said twelve. In uh, I think if you reverse the top twelve, so you don't have people tank the end of Q three. Um, and I, I, I know Steve in our Discord ever said fifteen. I think that's a little too strong um, because people will just tank the end of Q two to take a sprint poll. I think if you <laughs> if you aim smack dab in the middle, I say if you reverse the top twelve slots and extend the scoring down from to twelfth place. In general, so go twelve points for a sprint win, minus one down to twelfth place. But then you'd have I, to expand the Grand Prix scoring system with that. Not necessarily. Probably wouldn't. No, no because that's fine. you still have. Oh, because you, it, you basically more. get two. You get two different, totally different scoring systems because there's a lot more points on offer in the Grand Prix. Still, they're just staggered differently. I um, don't. But you would you be paying points to the top twelve rather than the top ten? Look, if 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 that if that's easier or more convenient, fine. Extend the points down to twelfth place. <laughs> I, I, I don't, you got to extend the points down to fifteenth for the Grand Prix. I, I, I don't think you do. I, I I don't necessarily think you have to do that. I think the Grand Prix being being worth more and then making it a bit more exclusive to score points, I'm largely fine with. I don't think you necessarily have to extend Grand Prix scoring down to fifteenth place. Look, I, I, I wouldn't tend to mind. Agree. I wouldn't mind if it was like that in general because I think the scoring system is for, for MotoGP, which is already goes down to P15, is fairer anyway than Formula Ones, and it, and it still has it still incentivizes winning above all else because of the way it's structured. But I think the current F1 scoring system is fine right now. I think it's fine as it is with ten scoring and plus seven on second for the win. Um, I'm fine with that. So I don't necessarily think you've got to blow up the Grand Prix scoring system either, even though, again, I wouldn't have a big problem with it if you did. I just think that you've got to... In- you balance the books a little bit better for the back marker teams who are taking the sprint as a glorified test session anyway. Give them a little bit more of an incentive to show up and try and score some points, and we'll see if that changes. I think that's an easy way of doing that, personally. That's how I look at it. I like the conclusion that we landed on was basically just like, yeah, Dora's doing this really, really good, which is not something we get to say often in 2023, but we did used to say it a lot like three to five years ago. And they have their problems too. That's mostly injuring their riders through this dumbass going straight to 21 sprints a year format, but that's a discussion for another day. Um, uh, We basically got confirmation that uh, we're not going to get a healthy grid this year. Yay. Yeah, more or less with uh, the news that dropped uh, a couple of days ago that Alex Rins will be missing two-thirds of the last triple header. He might be back for Valencia, the season finale, but he's going to miss Qatar and Sepang in the, the next races that are coming up. Speaking of which, that will remind us that our next episode will be on MotoGP. We are catching up on the last couple of the weekends due to a certain... Colleague will be in a little bit on the ill side, bless his heart. But uh, we're going to catch up on Phillip Island and Buriram when we get back on our next episode of M101. So that'll be a fun one. Formula One is back in a week and a half's time in Las Vegas for the first Las Vegas Grand Prix. God, I want to say for nearly 40 years. Um, so uh, that'll be fun, right? You know, spider pig on the wall as, as a track map. Spider That's pig a- on the wall, damn. I can't, I can't wait for them to start making overtakes through top golf. <laughs> Look, I, I have been there. 
I have been in that top golf. It, it, it would be a banger, let me tell you. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. So, uh, yeah, uh, Formula One back in a week and a half's time. MotoGP up next. That'll be obviously this weekend uh, at Sepang for the, the the first of their final round of triple headers. But that'll be our next episode as we catch up on the two-wheeled side of things. But until then, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. Sayonara. Ryan Blaney saved at the pump. The pump? The pump. pump. He saved at the pump. Woohoo!